In a world where one woman locks herself inside a quiet studio and doesn't come out until the podcast is done, welcome to Spotlight Conversations with Donna Reed, a place you can get connected with Donna and her friends and listen in on some great conversation. Thankfully, unlike the intro you just heard, it's a drama-free zone. You're welcome. Now, as we listen to a bit of music from the amazing Mark Sparrow to lead us in, it's my pleasure to introduce the one, the only, Donna Reed. I was just get in a really good mood when I hear that intro. And I get in a really good mood knowing that you are a part of this very special podcast. Hello and welcome to Spotlight Conversations. I can't believe it's almost two years. Coming up on two years of podcasts, so many interesting people who have jobs in media, um, could be radio, TV, film, books, music. And it's just interesting to hear about how they started their careers and how they keep their careers going. Find out more at Spotlight Conversations. That's uh, at Instagram. I'm also at Donna Reed VO. You can find me there on Instagram. And of course, my website, SpotlightConversations.com. All right, today I'm bringing in a writer, Elizabeth Spancraig, best-selling cozy mystery author. She has done a couple of books, well, several actually, A Dash of Murder and Frictional Characters are just a few of the titles. So grateful to have you in the studio today, Elizabeth. I know you're really busy. What is a cozy mystery writer? Did you come up with that? <laughs> no, I didn't. But I would love it if I had if I had come <laughs> up with something like that, because it, it just completely encapsulates what you're going for with this type of mystery. Uh, the mystery happens off stage, So it could be, you know, something that is not very gory. You want to have the, the victim be somebody who's maybe been pushed out of a window or they've you know, been pushed down the stairs or something happens to them. You know, they could be strangled or shot or other things, too. But it's not described in a lot of detail and forensics is not part of the investigation. Um, so you've got that aspect of it where it is taking place offstage. It's also usually in a small town. And that's kind of fun, you know, because then you know how small towns can be. You've got yep. people who know each other's secrets and they don't want their secrets to be exposed. And it comes up with some really na naturally tense um, situations and some easy suspects that way. Now, I was reading Myrtle Clover, who is um, she solves crimes in these books. She is based on your grandmother. Is that right? She is, yes. Uh, my grandmother was a retired English teacher, and so is Myrtle Clover. And Myrtle oh. doesn't have a lot of patience um, with people. <laughs> and that's kind of, she also is trying to get back at her police chief's son, who keeps trying to send her to Greener Pastures Retirement Home. And she what? doesn't want to go there. No. Yes. No. Who would? Who would want to go there? Exactly. And so she gets back at him by trying to solve these mysteries before he does. So she can kind of get his goat. Growing up in a small town, did that give you a lot of info? Did, yes. did that To do these stories and to come up with this? How, how young were you when you started writing books? Oh, I was writing. I mean, I think I knew in second grade that's what I wanted to do. And by fourth grade, I was like, yeah, this is the only thing I, I'm actually good at. Wow. 
Um, <laughs> so it's it's been a long a long time. Uh, but a small town is is great exposure for a mystery writer because I remember sitting there in the beauty parlor, and this was in the yeah. 80s, where you have to have a perm. So you're there like yeah. half the day. You know, it's like <laughs> the rule in Anderson, South Carolina was oh, you okay. had to have permed hair. Right. Um, and so I would sit there, and the ladies would talk to their stylist like the, the stylist was, you know, a priest or, you know, a bartender or anybody else that you're giving your secrets to. And um, it was... Is kind of startling, actually, at that at that young age, an impressionable age. <laughs> Very publishing. You've self published and also have published through um, Random House, yes, and Penguin. How did it work for you? What are the differences and in, in how it benefited you in your writing career with each of them? Yeah, it worked out um, really well. Um, I started publishing. I guess it was in 2009. Was my first my first book came out, and it was good at the time because uh, bookstores still played such an important part in publishing. And obviously now things have really moved um, primarily online, both with eBooks and with Mm -hmm. the rise of online retailers like Amazon. Mm -hmm. Um, But back in 2009, you could still um, have like with uh, Penguin Random House, the deal was um, with them that I had a nice little cardboard tower by the cafe in Barnes and Noble when I had a book out and, I mean, that was nothing to do with me. It was just their arrangement with Barnes and Noble, um, how they displayed their new books. Um, sort of like, I guess, you know, a cereal company pays the grocery store to get shelf placement. Exactly. Yeah. Um, very much the same kind of thing. Uh, but at the time, that did definitely help me to get a toehold in the industry and get a reader base. Um, but of, of course, Penguin and Random House, there were mergers, and I have lost, I lost several editors during that, and Midnight Inc., another publisher, Um, and what happens when you lose a, um, an editor at a publishing company, you're called orphaned if you're a writer. Really? (laughs) It's a very sad sounding term, but basically, you know, you don't have anyone going to bat for you in the editorial Mm -hmm. meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty much going to be the end of your series right there. Um, but I was able to get my rights back to the characters um, with the help of my agent and also just on my own because there's a lot of resources out there. And I've uh, been able to continue the series, um, which is more profitable if you self-publish instead of paying, obviously, your agent and a publisher um, where you make you know, a 70% royalty at a place like Amazon or Barnes and Noble online. And you, I got 15% of net working for um, Penguin Random House. Your first book, self-published? It was actually traditionally published. It was. How hard was that? I hear from people who write, oh, I've been writing for years and I, I can't get anybody to read it. What did you do? I was, yeah, I was ridiculous, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being honest, Elizabeth. (laughs) I appreciate it because I know there's going to be listeners going, oh, my God, she just got to publish. Oh, no. (laughs) So tell us your story. Yes. Yeah, I got probably, I'm going to say, 100 to 125 rejections from agents because what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to go to a literary agent and query your project first. And they're the gatekeepers and they send your work to their friends, um, various editors in the industry if they think there's a good fit. Mm-hmm. And the publishers really like working with agents, of course. Um, it doesn't hurt anyone's feelings and you know, it's just they just like to do that. Um, but 
after I kept getting rejected, I thought, well, I'm just going to go ahead and send directly to the publishers, even though that was just a really big no-no. So that's what that's what I did. Uh-huh. And it, wor- it worked out. I mean, I got two offers for one book. Um, so that, that worked out really well. Do you recommend that for new writers? I, I am not even sure I recommend traditional publishing for new writers. <laughs> <laughs> because everybody's writing today. I mean, yours are great books, but everybody is writing. So you have a competition level that's different than, say, when you first started. Would you agree with that? Yes. Uh, it's yeah. a different competition level for traditional publishing as well as um, self-publishing. You have to be a little sharper and you have to, if you're doing commercial fiction like I am, um, you just have to make sure you know exactly what readers are looking for. And really, it's the readers you have to please the most instead of thinking about editors or publishers or agents. How much marketing did you do as well? I mean, as as soon as you had the book published, did you do the bulk of the marketing or did your publisher or how did that work? I honestly, I mean, for for a place like Midnight Inc., that was one of, it's a mystery-specific publisher. Mm. Um, I did everything pretty much for that publisher for penguin random house they obviously they their way of doing marketing at least back then was pretty much to send lists to the booksellers and they had their reps to go in and talk up the books to the the bookstores and there was that aspect of it that i wasn't involved in but for the most part aside from the catalog they didn't really do anything for me so i did do a book tour which they did encourage me to do with some other writers um and that that worked out pretty well um but you know that's that's not cheap and uh, i wasn't getting paid a whole lot for my book. at the beginning it's like that i think yes. if you go into art it, it just is uh, a labor of love And you hope somebody hears you or sees you or reads your work. Um, Going back to your childhood, and I know that has so much to do with writers and the ideas they get for their characters. Were you a big Nancy Drew fan? Huge Nancy fan. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I read Nancy like Nancy was going out of style. I mean... (laughs) I, my mother was rummaging in her friend's attics for Nancy Drew books because I read all the ones in the library in Anderson County. And then I moved on to Trixie Belden's, Hardy Boys, Cherry Ames, Judy Bolton's oh, from the like, wow. 1920s or whatever. I mean, oh, yeah. Yep. Anything, you know, Boxcar Kids, um, pretty much anything I could get my hands on. Um, and also I soaked in kid-level TV um, that was aimed at, you know, future mystery readers, uh, yes. Scooby-Doo. Right. Um, was really big then, and even Hong Kong Fooey, um, yeah, for all the other 70s um, kids out there, um, was a lot of fun. So, I honestly, I think Mystery does a really good job of, of indoctrinating readers <laughs> and film watchers early. How do you feel is the difference between mystery writers and people who write science fiction or who write um, horror novels? Yeah. Besides the obvious, yes, um, I would say. Now, it depends on mystery genre. So I'm writing a subgenre that does not require a whole lot of research because it doesn't have a lot of forensics. Um, mm. I would say a crime writer who writes things like police procedurals or forensics-based mysteries has more to do with science fiction writers because they also do a ton of research. Um, also, mm. they're more science-based. Both of those um, genres are. Um, horror, I think, is going... Mm, I mean, honestly, there's some crossovers there, too, because most recently, Mystery has had uh, psychological thrillers um, that have become yeah. extremely popular or domestic thrillers. Would and, you uh, write those Would if you had the chance? 
That's yeah, that's a tricky question. I've been tempted to write a domestic thriller because I've gotten some ideas, but my problem is that um, I am branded as a cozy mystery writer, yes. and so it's really, really tough to. I mean, I would probably have to pick up another name, and then it's really hard to market um, a one-off like that. So I don't know. I mean, I might do it just for my own, you know, benefit, but I'm not sure if I would release it. Do you read books in different genres when you're not writing? I do. I read. I, in fact, I read in different genres all the time. And um, I think mostly because I'm worried about being accidentally influenced by my genre. And so I have not read cozies for a while now. Just I just don't want to accidentally pick something up that, that shouldn't be there. <laughs> okay. <I see. laughs> um, so but a lot of mystery. I mostly read mysteries, but I do read, you know, some nonfiction. I recently read um, Invisible Child, um, okay. which ran in the New York Times a little bit. And then she, um, Elliot, came up with um, a whole nonfiction book um, about about this child that she followed for years trying to get out of the projects and just, you know, that sort of thing. So different. I try to broaden it a little bit. I am really interested in mystery, but I try to read other genres and because I feel like it does help me with my writing and just help me see different perspectives on things. It's such a tough business writing. How do you keep your focus? Because there's so much rejection. You, you I mean, you really have to be extremely stubborn and hard-headed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. you have to be very stubborn and hard-headed and you have to believe in yourself. And I know that sounds kind of pithy, but it's, I mean, it's true. It You really just, you have to know that you will reach your audience somehow and you just keep plugging along and keep trying. And if, if it's your writing, just keep writing. And that's the important thing because if you've just written the one book and you're just, you know, concentrating 100% on selling that book, and you're not writing, you might write something better, a second book, third book, that might be your break, Ah. you know, waiting, instead of just investing everything and just being like, I'm not going to do anything until I sell this book. So Elizabeth Spann Craig, bestselling mystery author says, be hard headed. That's who I'm talking (laughs) with today. Her two books are uh, the two recent books she has out called A Dash of Murder, Frictional Characters on your website, is where we could find it, right? How do we get yes. your book? Oh, on Amazon. At well, anywhere really, and it's elizabethspancraig.com. And international readers can click on a link and be taken to Amazon in their country. Um, it's also on Nook, Kobo, um, in print, audiobook, all that sort of stuff. I went to your website and I saw all these Twitterific links, <laughs> I which I like. So explain those, and then also an infographic book that you put together. Uh, well, uh, the Twitterific is something that I compile every week. I go on Twitter and find the best writing-related links for mm. authors. So you don't actually have to be on Twitter because it links to the person's blog. Mm-hmm. And you can get all kinds of interesting information and just, you know, kind of get a writing community established. You start visiting these blogs And writers, because we're so isolated, it's kind of fun to develop a writing community. And, you know, these links can not only help you with research, information about the business, how to promote, but it can also help you to establish that community. And it's probably good for established published writers to share their information with your fans or people who are very influenced by what you write. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Important to do that? 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, we would all be stumbling around. There's too many aspects of the business that, you know, we just wouldn't know how to, I mean, there's not a writer around that I know of who can handle all the different parts, um, whether that's, you know, formatting or cover design or, you know, any of those kind of things, uh, promotions. There's so many different aspects and it's helpful for us all to share information And um, also just because it helps, the network can also help you promote too. Mm. Um, Authors will host other authors on their blogs. And in fact, the infographic book you're talking about, that was actually a guest post from another writer. (laughs) Oh, because it can be very competitive. So some people listening wonder, well, why do that? But then others would go, oh, that's so cool to do that. So who was the author you shared this information from? Yes, this was Hank Quince, Mm -hmm. and he has a book on, um, really, he shows you how to create these books. And he also has um, different, I guess, modules for school visits and things like that. And he's done a lot of things that I, I haven't done as much. And it's, it's cool, like I said, to get information from another writer who has, you know, done things that you haven't done and figure out how you could maybe incorporate some of the same things into what you do. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to go into an elementary school and talk about murder mysteries, Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. Uh, but I can go into an elementary school and talk about developing characters or, you know, um, developing a love of writing and that sort of thing. So it's it's just fun. The more you get out there, the more they're familiar with your work. Obviously, you're talking about that even so. Um, Let's see. New writers, what are the challenges today? Since we talked earlier about everyone is a writer, um, and you mentioned being hard-headed and stubborn and hanging in there and in the face of all of the rejections and the adversity, what are some of the key tips for new writers? For new writers, my favorite tip is to set the bar low. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. Oh, that uh, may not sound like a good tip. Well, to to explain what, how come. Why would you do that? <laughs> Well, when I was first starting out back in 2009, I did, um, when I was writing that book, I had a very small child. I mean, at the time, I mean, she's 20 now, if that gives you Mm -hmm. an idea. And it was, she would never nap. I was like, what is going on with this child? This is not napping. (laughs) Sometimes they don't. We know that now, but yes. Gosh, (laughs) you know, so, but I figured out that she would watch Elmo's World for however long that segment was. Not the rest of Sesame Street. Oh, no. Only Elmo's World. Right. It was seven minutes or something like that. But, um, you know, for for that amount of time, I could write a page. Um, So I got very good at just setting it up so I could write a page a day during Elmo's world. And um, that's how I got a book done. Because if you can do a page a day, then, you know, in less than a year, you've got a very good sized book. Excellent. Any other tips? Um, Other tips, I would say definitely, if you're trying to decide whether to traditionally publish or self publish, I would check out Jane Friedman's blog. She's an industry expert. And she has excellent um, overviews of both self-publishing and traditional publishing, the pros and cons of going with both. And there's also hybrid options where you can do some traditionally published stuff and some oh. self-published stuff or go with a smaller press. All of those things are, are definitely options. And she gives a good overview. Thank you very much for coming in, Elizabeth, and explaining all of this because there's so many writers and I, I, I know that they'll hear this and go, oh, okay, so I need to just stick with it. Stick with it. <laughs> Stick with it for sure. Absolutely. And give us your website name again so we can get your book. And we know it's available on Amazon, but the titles of the two books. 
My uh, website is elizabethspancraig.com. That's my full name. And the books, the most recent releases, A Dash of Burner and Frictional Characters. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. you coming in. Thank you, Donna. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Spotlight Conversations with Donna Reed. Subscribe on Apple and Spotify podcasts or your favorite platform. Thanks for tuning in.